So, I can't review all that we did last week because we spent a lot of time and went through a lot of scriptures last week in the book of Genesis. Um, I do want to remind you of a couple of things that we kind of laid out there as a foundation. That um, I know there's some of us, because you go through things in life and you get burned, and there's a hesitancy to get involved in relationships, and people say, oh, I'd just rather be by myself or you know, with a dog or a pet or something in the house. And, but you've got to understand something. God designed us to be in relationship with one another. When you refuse to get in a relationship with individuals, you're really, you're cutting yourself off from one of the major teaching tools that God uses in our life. It's understand, if you're by yourself, who's going to aggravate you? So, so, so I'm, I'm making this point. Sometimes, sometimes it's true the people that God places in our life that can be difficult that we learn how to actually walk in love. Walking in love is not easy, and it's not automatic. We need all the help we can get to do that. You say, well, I just won't love anybody. Well, that's not the answer, because we're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to love strangers. We're commanded to love our enemies. We're commanded to love everything. We're commanded to love. But if you have no one in your life that's going to um, present you with a challenge, then that side of your life gets stunted. You're not going to develop. Because, you know, God does put people in our lives that we don't necessarily agree with. Uh, but he puts them there not, not to cause us grief, but to cause us and give us the motivation and the incentive to be able to change our hearts to make sure that we can walk in love with people, walk in forgiveness with one another. Um, you know, and, and we're all flawed individuals. And one or two people recognize it. <laughs> we're all flawed. We have character issues. We have weaknesses. We have damage. Some of us have suffered trauma to one extent or another. Uh, in our earlier years, or even in our later years, I, I don't know what's worse, to have it in the early years or, or to have trauma in the, in the late later years, but, but one way or the other, look, uh, you know, so you're going to go move to an island by yourself, you're going to be, you're going to have to get along with people. Amen. But what I've seen, not, not what we see not only in the word, but we, we see even in life experience is that uh, sometimes we come out of situations better for the relationships that we've developed. This, it does something to us. It causes us maybe to, to depend on God more than we normally would. It, it causes us to really have to depend on his grace. I mean, how many, how many people in here have ever been in a difficult relationship? I'm, I'm not talking about just marriage. I'm talking about any type of relationship, business partnership, uh, neighbors on the street. You know, you move into a neighborhood and you find out you live next door to a psychopath. <laughs> you know, and you, you can't just turn around and sell the house. You know, you're going to have to learn how to get along with people. Um, just, just life on the planet. But I also see this side of it, and Jesus kind of gave us a hint about this. I've had people come to this church, and you might be one of them sitting here throughout the years. Um, you know, in 26 years, you go through a lot of people. Um, and I've heard this over and over again. When I saw how the people loved each other, when I saw how the people cared for each other, when I saw how people came to, to the aid of individuals who needed it, they convinced me that this is the church I wanted to be in. And it's not, because, it's, not, it's not because of new beginnings. It's because Jesus said, by the love that you have for one another, 
will all men know that you're my what? Disciples. Not believers. Disciples. A believer is the infant stages of our relationship with God. But to become a disciple, a disciple is what? What's another word for disciple? Follower. Let's go a little bit deeper. A student. Thank you. A disciple is a student. And following along with the biblical, in the biblical context of that, um, the disciples, we call them 12 disciples, although there were many more, but the 12 that, that are written about the most in the scriptures, they were students of Jesus. So when you, when you set yourself under a rabbi, you spent all your time with them. That's why they traveled together, they lived together, they ate together. Um, they just spent life together. Why? Because the student doesn't learn from the teacher just in school. You listening? They set themselves, they submitted themselves under Jesus' tutelage. Is that the word? His instruction, his example. And that's why he could say to them in the Gospel of John, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall they, they shall do also. And greater works that they'll do. Why? Because a disciple is always supposed to be greater than the teacher. Any good teacher wants their students to be better than them. And so we're called to be disciples. We're told to go make disciples of all nations, not just believers. You know, we, we think we get somebody to say a prayer and all of a sudden, no, well, they're good, they're in. What, what, what they got their passport stamped? What is that, because a person said a prayer? You know, we're responsible for the people that we have had the privilege to lead to the Lord. Amen. We're responsible. You don't just drop them off, okay, see, in heaven. We're, we're supposed to be there to set the example for them, to challenge them, to motivate them. We're supposed to provoke each other to good works. Amen? That's going to require relationships. Okay? Now, as a pastor... I'm going to review a little bit. Sometimes you have to teach the tough lessons. Amen? Sometimes you've got to teach the stuff that's not popular. Sometimes you've got to teach the stuff that could be considered controversial, especially in the society we're in right now. Everything's controversial. No matter what. You like chocolate? Oh, I'm offended because you like chocolate. Don't eat chocolate. People get offended for every stupid little thing. Touchy-feely. That is a sign of people indulgent in the flesh. If you are on your way to learning how to die to yourself, and it's said the more self dies, the less touchy you are. And if you're going to be successful in relationships, you're going to have to get a tough skin. If you're going to be the type of person that every time somebody does something you don't like, every time somebody says something wrong, every time somebody gives you a look that you don't like, you're going to end up being miserable and all alone. You listening to me? So, um, we need to learn about these things. Now, last week, I ended up, at the end of the, of the, of the message, I ended up teaching last week, talking a lot about sexual sin. We're talking about relationships. The one thing that can damage a relationship, seriously damage a relationship, uh, is getting involved physically outside of the covenant of marriage. 
The covenant of marriage is purposely called a covenant. It's not a contract, although some people try to make it a contract. In the eyes of the Lord, a marriage is sacred. And I'm not stirring this stuff up. I realize there's people in here, you might have gone through divorces, whatever. Uh, at least let's learn for the next time. Okay? But in a society that we're living in right now where sex is just a given, it's just a given. If two people are going to date, boom, that's going to be it. God doesn't want this type of conduct going on. Not because he doesn't want us to enjoy, but it's because he knows the damage that it does. Because there's a spiritual principle, we talked about it last week, where the two become one flesh. Two become one flesh. That principle takes place. That, that spiritual bonding takes place whether there's a ring on the finger or not. Now, when there's a ring on the finger, you know what I'm talking about. When there's a ring on the finger, it comes under the blessings of God. Now, it's tough enough to get along, two people to get along, uh, under the blessings of God. Because you've got to understand this, okay? Um, let's just throw it out there. All right, and we're going to go into some more scriptures about this because this is a dangerous situation. Because, now, this probably doesn't apply to anybody in here, but there's messed up people walking around. <laughs> Do you realize that? There's messed up people walking around. And, and what, you, what you learn over the years is that the more multiple partners that an individual has, we're talking about in the physical realm, the more messed up, if without God, you're going to be. Because every time you got involved with somebody physically, you took a part of their soul. They took a part of yours. Now you're walking around with 20 different personalities attached to you. Hurts, wounds, soul connections, soul ties. You know, you know, we've got guys walking around, I can't forget this, can't forget, can't forget. Well, why? Because you bonded in a way that was supposed to be reserved for the one that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Amen. Amen. This is just a spiritual fact. Um, I know, you know, when I, when I left here last week, I was like, oh, God. Uh, I know I had to talk about this, but... So, let me just review what, I, what, I, what we talked about last week here just a little bit. Uh, you bring your soul into spiritual bond with another individual and multiple, par multiple partners equals multiple, you multiply the problems. Um, please avoid this. Well, pastor, it's too late. No, it's never too late. You can repent. You can, go, you can, you can, you can get that situation right in the eyes of God. Amen. You can depend on the grace of God to help you not to fall into that situation in the future. Um, I realize that Paul in his letter says it's better to marry than to burn. You know, I understand it, but don't, don't go crazy hooking up with somebody that you realize this is not going to work. Keep the relationship pure until you know this is the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with. Amen. And then make the commitment. Well, we love each other. We're in the eyes of God. No, forget about the eyes of God. You need witnesses. Amen. God's in heaven. I've had people say, well, you know, we, we've, we've set our vows to each other in the eyes of God. And who was there to witness it? What legal thing is going to help you stay with that commitment? And if you decide to get stupid, why should that person, why should you, I'm talking about guys, because most of the time it's the guy that gets stupid. Are we on the same page here? Okay. Not all the time, but, but most of the time. 
Now, why should that poor individual that you brought into this relationship, now you have no responsibility towards this person because you used them up like an orange peel? And you throw them aside? Is this too real tonight? Because somebody's got to talk about this stuff. That individual should have some legal recourse. How many of you watch Judge Judy? It's all the time. You get these two people. They, when they were in love, they didn't care how much they spent on each other. When they were sharing a bed, they didn't care how much they spent on each other. Then as soon as one gets offended at the other, all of a sudden, the money they spent becomes a loan. Right. <laughs> yes or no? Yes. And what does she say to them? We have no rules for people who are playing house. There are no laws to protect people that are playing house. We only have laws to protect people in a marriage situation. Now, that idea didn't come from the devil. It came from God. Okay? Responsibility, accountability, commitment, love. Well, we fell out of love. Love is a decision. Love is a decision. You decide whether you're going to stay in love or not. We'll talk about it a little bit more. Okay? But, but watch. This, this is the thing that messes up people's relationships. There's a bond that takes place that's not supposed to take place yet at that point. Why? Because a covenant is a contract with sacred and spiritual implications. And nowhere, nowhere, I don't even think in legal language is marriage considered a contract. It's considered a covenant. And a covenant, when a covenant is broken, there are spiritual implications involved. Adam and Eve formed the first covenant with God. It's called the Adamic Covenant. It was an agreement made between God and man. God said, I'm, as for me, I'm going to supply all. I'm supplying you this garden, everything in it that you're going to need to thrive. Okay? And God said to Adam, take care of the garden, protect it, nurture it, and you'll be okay. What did Adam do? He broke the covenant. Why? Because he let the snake come in. He let the serpent come in. Adam should have been the first individual to say to the serpent, whether it had legs or not, okay? You know the story, right? God said, from this point forward, you're going to crawl on your belly in the dust. Well, if God said, from this point forward, you're going to crawl on your belly in the dust, then that means something must have been different up until that point. Now, we only know snakes that crawl in the dust. But apparently, before this time, snakes were probably more like lizards that had feet. Part of the curse was that the snake was altered, brought it upon himself. You see what I'm saying? When a covenant is broken, there are consequences. Look, the Ten Commandments is God's covenant with Israel. They broke the covenant. By breaking the covenant, it signified that somebody has to die because that covenant is broken. Thank God that the Lamb of God came to the earth, and this is the whole reason why Jesus had to go to the cross and had to die. Somebody's blood has to get shed when a covenant is broken. Mankind, in general, broke covenant with God. So somebody amongst mankind had to die to redeem mankind. And that's why God had to come to earth in the form of Jesus. Amen. A physical body. Are you getting this? A physical blood and bone body had to die to pay for the sins of the rest of the people that broke the covenant. See, they were slaughtering bulls and slaughtering lambs and slaughtering turtle doves and everything else, but 
and, and that blood would cover their sins, but it wouldn't change their nature. You could have your sins covered by a, a, a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, but you could not change. You didn't walk away born again. Your spirit was still dead because all it became was an empty ritual. But when the Lamb of God came, everything changed. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that he made one sacrifice for one time for all men. And that God in heaven accepted the blood of this lamb in order to bring us back into relationship with himself. This is important stuff. It's all about relationship. Why do you think the enemy attacks relationships? You could be going along real nice in a relationship, getting along really well, things are good, things are good, then all of a sudden something gets in there. You get touchy-feely. An offense takes place. And once an offense takes place, if the, if the individuals involved take the offense, then there's a problem. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24. Talked about part of the end times scenario that people would betray each other. He talked. He just said that's the way it's going to be. They'll get angry with each other. They'll betray one another. They'll hate each other. And it always happens in that process. Somebody gossips. Somebody says something. Somebody talks about somebody behind their back. An offense takes place. The people decide to go with the offense instead of forgetting about it. And then people that previously shared a bed together end up hating each other and spitting at each other in court. It shouldn't be this way. And it's all because we have failed to conduct our relationships according to the word of God. And the fulfillment of the word is always love. Love fulfills all the commandments. Amen? So... Now, here's the thing. Now, is there forgiveness? Yes, of course there is. Is there cleansing? Of course there is. And so many of us, especially when it comes to sexual immorality, sexual sin, well, Jesus forgave the woman that was caught in adultery. Yeah, but it didn't stop there. John chapter 8, verse 2. Now, early in the morning... He came again into the temple with all the people, and all the people came with him and sat down and taught them. He did what? Taught, taught them. So he expected them to learn something, right? Because yes. what is he doing? He's teaching, okay? Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Okay, you could, you could teach an hour on that one. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Well, go read the rest of Moses' law because the guy's supposed to be stoned too, okay? But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I know you're familiar with the story, but let's just, let's just go through it, okay? So when they had continued asking you, do you ever have anybody around you that badgers you, badgers you, badgers you, badgers you? <sighs> I had one of my kids like that. I won't say which one it was. Badger, badger. And I'd go, let it go, let it go. But, and but, and but. And I said, let it go, let it go. How many of you like to be badger? Do you like to be a badger? 
You, you, you have people in your life that don't know how to take the hint? Like the first time you don't answer them, they keep coming? They don't take the hint? Okay. I thought it was only me. All right. So, then those who heard, well, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And I just recently taught on this in depth. I don't know if you remember this about what really happened when he bent down and, and right the ground. I don't have time to go tonight. So when Jesus, so they left one by one, beginning with the oldest, because he knew the best, he knew more, he had more life experience. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. And that's normally where we stop. That's normally where we stop. But he didn't stop. What else did he tell her? You want to say it nice and loud with me? One, two, three. Go and sin no more. Just because we're forgiven when we repent and we receive cleansing, we should do our best to not fall into that trap again the next time. Go and sin no more. In fact, one time he told somebody, go and sin no more, lest a greater thing come upon you. Because, listen, I'm I'm talking to Christians now. I'm talking to believers now. I'm talking to people who have a born-again relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. No place in the Word of God in the New Testament are we told not to sin or we're going to lose our salvation. At least I haven't seen it there. If you have, please enlighten me. But what we hear over and over again is this. The name of God is blasphemed because of you. In other words, when we conduct ourselves in a way that is contrary to God's will, God's nature, and God's word, the world sees it. And they'll usually say, what kind of Christian are you? Is that the way a Christian is supposed to act? Is that the way a Christian is supposed to talk? Is that the way a Christian is supposed to conduct themselves? And, and you know what the sad part is? They're right. But we're told not to sin, okay, over and over again through the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, we're told not to sin. Now, in this New Testament age, I, I, I hesitate to say what I'm going to say because somebody's going to take it and run with it the wrong way and use it as an excuse. You're born again. Your sins were put on Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven. Past, present, future. One shot. The whole file was taken out, brought to Jesus from the moment that you were conceived until the moment that you die. He knows, he knew everything you were going to do and still chose to forgive you. So when we sin as a Christian, our problem, and, and don't take this the wrong way. Hear my heart. Hear the whole thing. Our problem is not between us and God. What are you going to do that he doesn't know already? And he still chose to forgive you. But the problem is, and especially with the topic we're talking about here, when we're involved in sin, number one, it affects our relationships. Number two, it gives an open door for the the enemy to come and attack us. And then when he does attack us because we're sinning, we open up the door, we turn around and go, God, how could you let this happen to me? (laughs) And God's like, I've been telling you to shut this door for years. I've been trying to deal with you to stop this conduct. 
I love you. Nothing's ever going to separate you from my love. But you keep opening the door for the devil to come in and either put a sickness on you, bring poverty into your life, ruin a relationship, bring you scars. Are you listening? I mean, honestly, you, you, you might be in a relationship right now uh, with somebody who's not honest. How does that make you feel? How, how could you be secure in a relationship when somebody that you're in a relationship with, and this could be a guy or a girl, it doesn't matter. You know they're not, they're dishonest. Well, dishonesty has a lot to do with lying. Lying is sinning. Even not being a person of your word is sinning. How could you have a good relationship with that person? You can't. So at some point, somebody, they, somebody's got to step in. And I'm pleading with you, if that's you, break the cycle now. Well, how can I do that? You're not going to be able to do it in your own strength because you probably have tried already. And in most cases, your flesh gets so used to this kind of conduct and especially when we convince ourselves, well, I'm going to go to heaven anyway. So it doesn't. No, it does matter. We're only here on this earth for like a... And we're going to have to live in eternity with the consequences of what happened in that for all of eternity. Are you listening? This is a big deal. This is a big thing. Most of the instructions we have in the New Testament writings to the church, the letters to the churches, are all about how to conduct relationships. Forgive one another. Put up with one another. Love each other. Carry each other's burdens. Believe the best about each other. Love each other. Forgive each other. Why? Because he knows. It's tough for us to get along with each other. Well, if that person could just change. (laughs) Just saying the same thing about you. So how are we going to overcome the sins that undermine our relationships? Number one, you're going to have to admit that they're there. You can't solve a problem that you're denying it exists. Number two, you're not going to be able to do it in your own strength. But thank God that he's the one who supplies all of our needs. Let's go to Titus, book of Titus chapter 2. I know you've heard this scripture before. But we got to start doing what we hear. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. You following me? Are you following me? Do you want to learn something? Do you want to over... You're getting lighter and lighter as you go along. Do you want to learn something? Do you actually want to pick up the tools that you, that you can use to stop these cycles of sin? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who is the grace of God that brought salvation and appearing to all men? Jesus. Jesus. But he's calling, the Holy Ghost here is calling Jesus the grace of God. For the grace, and that really should have been capitalized. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Next, let's go. What's the first word there? Teaching. What's the first word there? Teaching. 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 Would you say that again? Teaching. Say it again. Teaching. What should be, res- what should be the result of, of teaching? That, that you're, you're, correction, right? Correction. Learning, correction, education. Okay. So the scriptures here, the Holy Ghost speaking through 
the Apostle Paul, and him writing to this letter, this letter to Titus, okay, who I believe was pastoring a church in Crete, okay, he's saying that grace, if it's true biblical grace, is going to teach us, not just cover our sin. I'm going to say it again, because there's been way too much wrong teaching about grace in the church world in at least the past 10 years, if not more. But we're under grace. Well, what does that mean you're under grace? That you could just do whatever you want? Well, we're under grace. Oh, so you can sin, you can kill somebody, you can rape somebody, you can do whatever you want because you're in the dispensation of grace. Of course not. But the popular concept of grace that's, that the church world has become saturated with, especially here in the West, okay, in American, American Christianity, is that it doesn't matter how I live because we're in the age of grace and Jesus already loves me. And so, but what kind of respect is that? Even what kind of honor are you showing to the one who went to the cross and suffered terribly so that you and I could have this freedom to come back into relationship with our Father in heaven? So, so grace teaches us to do what? Gra- teaching us de- that denying what? Well, ungodliness sounds like sin, right? Can you have sin that's godly? Of course not. So teaching us, denying, denying. You notice it doesn't say resisting? Come on. Do you notice it doesn't say resisting? Because there are certain things you're not going to be able to resist. And most of the time, in context scripturally, it's sexual immorality. Denying ungodliness and worldly what? Overwhelming passions. We should live. You remember, we started out this year extensively teaching from these scriptures. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when? When we get to heaven? In this present age. And I'm telling you, it's even more for now. Dennis, can you go to the very next scripture? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you notice where the emphasis and time frame, the emphasis? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in the season right now. We're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. We keep looking at the eastern sky. We keep looking eastward. Is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? Now, more than ever, we need to let the grace of God teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts so that we can live soberly, soberly, and that's going to be, that's a new thing in our society right now, soberly, okay, so say the word soberly, because I see how people are driving on the streets. Do you notice it? These past couple of years, I'm saying, well, but what is everybody drunk? Is everybody crazy? What people drive? You know, I, I live in a neighborhood close to a lot of the uh, um, the senior developments and stuff. <laughs> Don't you even look when you pull out of the development? Oh, what the heck? I lived 89 years.
Is it my imagination or what? Don't care. Don't care. Just drive. Then on the other side of things, like the state of New Jersey wasn't messed up enough. They had to go legalize pot. Yeah, don't look around. Don't twitch. Okay, we're going to talk about this in the new year. Oh, Jesus. Well, it's legal. Legalized by who? By a godly society? By a godly administration? By a godly government? No. No. We won't talk about it right now. Well, God made it. Oh, really? When did the weeds show up on the earth? What do you guys call it? Come on, don't be... I know you weren't born with a Bible under your, under your arm. What do you call it? Weed. When did the weeds show up? After the fall? Oh, wow. You had to go there, huh? No, listen, if we're going to talk about things that are destroying relationships, then we've got to talk about things that are destroying relationships. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And sin cannot be the basis of a mutual beneficial relationship. It cannot be. It does not make a good foundation at all. In fact, if anything, you're setting yourself up for problems in the future. Hallelujah. Now, I know some people in the opinion, well, is it worth the trouble? It's a lot of work to have a relationship. Anybody find that out? Even, Even what I was saying earlier, even with God's blessing upon you, and, and the reason I say it this way is that there are certain blessings in the Word of God that are reserved for married couples. Okay, listen, it's not like I have an in for people. I want you to know this. But this is becoming an epidemic. There are certain, and what happens is two people come together for whatever reasons. They don't want to get married, whatever the reason is. But then they expect the blessings of God that are reserved for people that are married. People who have committed themselves to each other and are willing to put it in writing. They're special. So, so what happens now? Frustration comes. Well, what do you expect? Get things right. Well, I'm a pastor, but to be truthful, which I really don't know if I'm going to stay with the person. Then what are you doing with the person? <laughs> what is it, a toy? Is it a plaything? Are they a plaything? Would you want to be used like that and then thrown away? Where's the mutual respect? Where's the honor for one another? You realize that God honors honor? Yes. 
Is this too tough? Do you want me to stop? Now, relationships are extremely valuable to our spiritual maturity for the specific reason that I mentioned when we first started tonight. Because they are the proving ground of our love walk. It's the proving ground. It's, it's where you get to display the evidence that you're actually walking in love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. My God, if the end of all things was near 2,000 years ago, how much closer is it now? Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Verse 8, above all, come on, let's read it together nice and loud. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I put that in there. That doesn't appear in the scripture, but I put that in there because in the original language in Greek, you need all those words to understand what deeply means. Love each other intensely, fervently, earnestly. What does earnestly mean? from truth, not buttering each other up, not flattering each other to try to get something out of the other person. The biggest difference between the love of God and human love is human love is always dependent on what you could do for the other person. I'll love you if you do this. So when you stop doing this, my love shuts down. God says, I love you because you need me. Amen. He loves us because he knows without him, we're done. And that love gives him the opportunity to overlook. And that's why it's, it's said there. Love covers a multitude of sins. And that's what the Holy Spirit is saying through these scriptures. No matter how tough things get, hold on to your relationships with one another. Now, I'm going to clarify that, Okay. Work through the mess and treat each other the way I would treat you, God is saying. Now, this does not mean that you stay in a relationship that's damaging. This does not mean that you stay in a relationship being abused continuously. And of course, there's all different type of levels. What one person would call abuse is not necessarily what somebody else would call abuse. But when there's physical abuse, when there's sexual abuse... And I would say even to the point where there's verbal abuse. Now, there's some people that have grace to stay in those relationships. And these are the, type, these are the people that you and I sometimes observe and go, don't they see what's going on? Isn't that person, now, it's usually the person who's being victimized. Doesn't that person realize what's being done to them? And the truth about it is sometimes they don't. Anybody here ever been in that kind of a position? Just one or two. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Listen to me. We've all been in those positions. Now, especially, especially if you're the head of a house or if you're in some type of leadership position or an area of responsibility. I'm talking about, we're talking about as Christians now. This teaching, this whole series is more for Christians than it is for anybody else, okay? Because we're under the grace of God. We're tapped into the grace of God. You and I have the love of God abiding in us, okay? 
Um, but listen, there is a time that God's grace will literally blind you to the stuff that's going on in a person's life because he's trying to use you to be his grace towards that individual. But then there's a time when that person does not take advantage of that grace and, in fact, actually sees it as weakness and keeps taking and taking and abusing and abusing and mistreating and taking advantage of over and over again, then there's a time when God's grace, almost like a windshield, goes, and you see it for what it is. And even then, some people won't make the move because the devil comes and lies to them and says, where are you going to go? How are you going to live? Who's going to take care of you? What about your kids? Look at all the years you invested up to this point. Now, you have to be the judge there to decide, okay, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? But God will give you the grace. I know as a pastor, I never knew this before I pastored, would have had any point of reference to it. I know there's been times when God has blinded my eyes to the conduct of certain individuals whether that's family members or whether it's members of this congregation. And I'd have other people come to me and go, don't you realize what's going on with this person? I'd go, no. What are you talking about? I've had it happen multiple times throughout the years. I remember standing right here one time when a person, person who, this is many years ago, this individual who hated my family, just hated us, hated us, tried to do everything possible to, to bring division in my family. My per, I'm talking about my personal family. And I, I, I was completely oblivious to it. And one of my sons came up the platform one day after service and said to me, how could you even talk to them? You know how they're talking behind us, behind our back. You know how they're talking about us behind their back. You know what they've done. You know what she said. You know, and I go, I, I, I'm just, I don't know. Then there was a time then when the blinders came off. You don't think that happened with Jesus and Judas? Because I keep going back to this. Peter did the same thing Judas did. Peter got restored. Judas is in hell. Both betrayed Jesus. Jesus treated both of them with dignity. In fact, treated Judas probably better. Do you remember at the Last Supper? John says to Jesus, who is this person that's going to betray you? And Jesus says, watch this. And takes a piece of bread and dips it into the gravy or whatever it was and hands it to Judas. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but in that culture at that time, Jesus designated Judas as the, the guest of honor, the VIP at the Seder dinner that night, knowing this is the guy that's going to betray me with a kiss. Somebody said you're not qualified to love until you've had at least one Judas in your life. Uh, can you forgive Judas? Jesus would have. And Jesus died for Judas' sin just like he died for Peter's sin. But Peter was the only one that repented. Judas wouldn't repent. Judas could have got saved. Could have turned, I mean... 
there were plenty of people that tried to hurt Jesus. There's a whole crowd one time that tried to throw him off of a cliff. He forgave them. He would have forgiven Judas too if Judas would have at least looked for forgiveness. You getting this? Yes. Look, life is tough. You're going to have Judas's. Some of you looking at me like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. No. You're going to have Judas's. And sometimes they're the closest to you. What are you going to do about it? Are you, going to let, are you going to let them embitter you for the rest of your life? Pastor, I could sit down with you. I tell you how I've been betrayed. Honey, forget it. Just save the words. <laughs> your story is the same as everybody else's. We've all been there. We've all been there. It hurts. It hurts. But unless you're going to learn how to forgive. And now look, I'm not, I'd be a hypocrite if I stood up here and said to you it's easy. But it is a decision. It is a decision, and we have to make that decision because we've been forgiven so much. And again, you can't separate forgiveness from a teaching on relationship. You just can't. Because if you're going to have relationships with people, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. But if we tap into the grace of God, like we read about in Titus chapter 2, we'll be okay. Love covers. I don't know about you, but I want, I, want, I want people to walk in love with me. Love covers. Why? Because love requires us to ignore the hurt that's been done. Not to seek vengeance. I, don't, I feel like I need to spend a little more time on this here because I know this is a touchy subject. I doubt if there's even one of us in this room that has not been affected by some type of betrayal. And the ones that hurt the the worst are the ones that are connected to you. Because sometimes you just can't get out from it. So you're going to allow the person to torment you for the rest of your born days? Or you're going to have to learn how to forgive and walk in love. And just pacify yourself with the idea of, hey, listen, given the right circumstances, I'd probably do the same thing. Because we're all human. What do you want to do? Do you want to live in bitterness the rest of your life? And it seems like, I don't know if everybody's having this experience, it seems like the older we get, the easier it is to stay in bitterness rather than to deal with the situations. Amen. And that's not good. Because the scriptures tell us that bitterness, it's like dry rot to the bones. Bless you. Bless you. Tough one. And sometimes God will just keep us in it. Just, well, you're going to learn. You're going to learn. going to keep you. But God, release me. Let me go. Take this person out of my life. Let me move on. No, stay here. Because you're not qualified to move on until you deal with this thing. Amen. Is this doing anything tonight? Yeah. It's a tough one. But this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we find out whether we really are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because he didn't just say to love. He said, love the way I have loved you. It's hard enough to love on a human level. You had to put that in there, Jesus. You, You couldn't just say love one another. You had to say love one another as I have loved you. Oh, my God. That blew it right out of the water. There's no way that you and I could do that without his grace. Seriously, without his grace. And I know we all have stories, but one of the greatest experiences I've had along these lines hit me out of left field, snuck up on me without me realizing it. I know we all make jokes about in-laws and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, I knew my wife, we, we met, gosh, First time I saw my wife, I was 13 years old. We lived four houses away from each other. My parents had just moved us out of, out of the city, out of Elizabeth, and took us to Colonia. Does anybody know where Colonia is? Yes. Woodbridge Township. Well, back then, it was like moving to the farms, you know? So we're going to look at this house. I was only 13, and I'm looking around. I'm used to hanging around on street corners over there, you know? And my father's taken us to this neighborhood where normal people lived. And, <laughs> And so I see my wife and her girlfriends walking down the street, arm in arm, uh, doing the monkey walk. Do you guys remember the monkey walk? And I said to my father, where are you bringing us? Look at the way they walk. You know what I'm saying? So that was my first, the first time I laid eyes on my wife. And then we became friends and stuff like that. So, so I met my mother-in-law, who would become my mother-in-law. I was only 13, 14, 15. And she was a piece of work, God bless her. <laughs> we had a lot of lively debates together. We got married. Now, I'm not saved at the time yet, you know. Uh, and so it... You know, when you establish a precedent in a relationship, it's hard to get over that precedent. And the precedent was, we're going to be adversaries for the rest of our lives. You don't like me. I don't like you. I'm good with that. And even after I got saved, you know, we really didn't see each other that much. But when we did, she was always, you could always trust her to put a dig in. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So years go by. Decades go by. We learned how to tolerate each other. They sold their house up, in, up, up north in Colonia, bought a house in Manahawk and retirement home, so a little bit, a little bit, not really that much closer, but a little bit closer. So we'd see each other a little bit more. And I watched them age, okay? And when you watch people age, even though you don't like each other, when you're around each other, you can't help but, like, it's touch, touching your heart. Yes. You know, especially when you see a battle axe become like a powder puff. Is this too real? Is this too real? Then, then my father-in-law passed away. Barbara's dad passed away. And um, she sold the house. In fact, the house she bought, she signed the contract on a Friday right here, one of the neighborhoods right here. And she said, my husband will never see this house. He was in the hospital at the time. And sure enough, she signed the contract on Friday. Sunday night, he died. So he never saw the house. So she moves here. She's only four minutes away from us. And now, so we start checking on her. My wife's got to take care of her. She had a cancer operation. She came through that, thank God. 
had knee replacement, came out like a champ. But we were there every day taking care of her. And it became a habit. That's how I got in the habit of watching Jeopardy and uh, Wheel of Fortune, because that's what you do at that age. And then all of a sudden, about six months into this, I realized I'm in the kitchen making her coffee. I'm asking her what kind of cookies she wants or what kind of cake she wants. And on the inside, I said to myself, what happened to you? You became a softie. (laughs) You went soft. But then I realized, oh, my God, I don't have those feelings I used to have for her. All of the harsh comments, all of the backstab, all of a sudden just all disappeared. It all melted away. And it came out of, it literally came out of left field. It was, and I used to joke around when I said, you know I'm your favorite son-in-law. And she'd go, yeah, because you're the only one I have. (laughs) But it literally became that kind of relationship. And it just snuck up on me. And it was the most amazing display and act of the grace of God that I had ever experienced up until that point. There literally became a genuine love and concern and compassion for the battle axe. (laughs) Now watch. We have names for people, but they exist in our perception. Now the truth was with her, she was that way. But the grace of God just snuck up on me. If you would have told me 20 years before that I'd be waiting on this lady hand and foot making her coffee, is it too hot? Do you want me to put some more sugar? I would have said, you are out of your mind. I'll go to the grave first. But it just, but that, you see, that's what the love of God will do to your heart. When you, est- watch this, because we got to go now, we're done. When you esteem relationships. Are you getting this? When you esteem relationships, you're setting yourself up for the grace of God to just saturate your heart and gives you the ability to love people that are extremely difficult to love. Are you listening? You're going to come back next week when we continue on this? Are you? All right, good. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. If not, God bless you.